0: We have a song that we sing, Give me the Bible, holy message shining, thy light shall guide me. A Christian writer recalls a time when he was scheduled to attend a lectureship. He was going through the campus of the Ohio State University. As he was being driven to the lecture, he passed the new Wexner Art Center. And a driver told him, This is the new art building for the university. It is a fascinating building, designed in the postmodernistic view of reality. Postmodernistic view of reality. What does that even mean? Well, apparently, the building had no pattern. There were staircases that didn't go anywhere, there were pillars that didn't support anything, and the architect was praised by somebody anyhow, but it seemed like he got praised for what he built, for designing a building to reflect how he saw life. He saw life as going nowhere, I guess, and that being a mindless and senseless maze. The Christian writer turned to his driver and asked, did they do the same thing with the foundation? To that, the driver laughed and said, oh no, you can't do that with a foundation. Then the writer commented, you can get away with the infrastructure of a building being mindless and senseless. But once you start tampering with the foundations of a building, you get you begin Experiencing serious side effects. You know, I've talked with contractors. Robert would know you've, you've furnished old homes. They can tell you that they don't care about the rest of the house. They don't care what it looks like. If they're going to redo something, the first thing they look at is the foundation. Is the foundation sound? They'll invest their time and money most of the time. But otherwise, they won't even touch it. Our text this morning is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. This is what our text is telling us today. It is talking about the foundation. If you want to grow higher in your faith, then that's what I'm looking at today. Growing higher in your faith. You've got to have a good foundation. If your foundation is not sound, then the rest of your faith will definitely crumble. Beginning in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3, we read this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Paul was writing to his young co-worker Timothy, and told Timothy not to neglect the foundation. Continue, he says, in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. Many of us have grown up in the church. I'm sure if we think back to the foundation, I think back to the memories that I have of growing up, that we got washed up. Um, My grandkids hate it when I do this, but if my mother saw something on our face, she would lick her thumb and wipe our face. Grandkids, when they were young, not so much. <laughs> I don't even try it now with the two little ones in Virginia because I know that our society, we just don't do that anymore, I guess. But anyhow, you think back of the things that you learned, the songs that we used to sing, and the, you know, just the enthusiasm, we put it, remembering a Bible verse. I remember sitting up in the front and uh, our minister would usually ask us, okay, this is the verse I want you to memorize for next week, and then you come in there and he put you on the spot. And you had to, you know, remember and speak back the verse that he gave you and and some of that. But we always stuck with that foundation. Everything I can think about was all centered around the Bible, the foundations of our faith. And what's Paul saying in this? The sacred writings, the scripture is your foundation. And you know what you can trust. And you know you can trust that foundation because it belongs to God. We know that the Bible, as it says, is God's breathing. It's God breathed. Well, what does that mean? It means that there's no other book. There's no equal to the Bible that you can have in your hands. God has breathed into the Bible, and he gave it the life of his own. Do you remember when God created Adam, what did he do? We know that he took Adam, he made him out of dirt, and he made him into a living thing. And in Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. When God breathed into Adam, he became a living creature. And God breathed the Bible, it became a living book. Wait a minute. A living book. How many people in our society today say it's a dead book? It's so outdated that you know, we have to redo it. Wait a minute. Nay, nay. We know that God breathed life into it. It is a living book. It is alive with power. And when we read it, it touches and shapes our lives and gives us life. Hebrews 4 and 12. We are reassured in Hebrews 4 and 12, it says, "'The word of God is living and active.'" Hmm. It is living and active. And what is it? "'It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's where we get in trouble, isn't it? The thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It can divide, and how many times did it say, Jesus knew what they were thinking. The power he had over them where they even started to talk amongst themselves, didn't they? Well, wait a minute, before we answer, well, if we say this, he's gonna say this. If we say this, in contrast, he's gonna say this. They realized, they were trapped in their thoughts. Jesus, God is the living power. We know in the book of um, John, sorry, Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word existed from God creating. God created the Word for man, not man for the Word. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, what does it say? As the rain and the snow come from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed of the sower and the bread to the eater, so shall my word be that it goes out from my mouth and it shall not return empty to me, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed the thing for which I sent it. We know that the Bible is a living book. In 1941, from what I understand, I did not know this until I was looking up some of this, J.B. Phillips translated the New Testament from what I understand, he was a minister at a congregation over, like I think it was over in England or Great Britain, that area. So today, English-speaking Christians have dozens of Bible translations that we can choose faith from. We can choose between different languages, different translations. In Philip's day, there was a very few translation options. But today, we would recommend a translation probably done He had notable teams of scholars. There are many people use the original King James. They feel comfortable with that. For modernization, there's the new King James, which takes that and puts it. There's the American Standard Version. I'm starting to look, I'm just toying with this idea. Some of the verses I'm reading, you can see, should go along with the King James or the American Standard Version. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But you have to be careful I want to put a footnote right here. You do have to be careful with the translations that you have. I would say that not everyone, I believe, is translated correctly. And even this JP Velps. the reason I bring him up is he admits that he did it more or less solely, individually. There is room for mistake. He did the best he could at the time to try to make a resource for his church, his congregation. But he even recommends that you would look at the, the ones that had scholars that knew the original Greek and Hebrew and and the translation. and Sometimes the trub- trouble is that you can't find a word that translates equatively between English and some of this language, but they try to do the best that they can with that. And you would look at those. But following the work, translating the New Testament, J.P. Phillips wrote, "'Although I did my utmost to preserve an emotional detachment I found again and again that the material under my hands was strangely alive. It spoke to my condition in the utmost can- uncanny way. And I would say that when we read the scripture, that's what I was focused on. That we realize that we have an active tool speaking directly to us. God's written word is a powerful force. And frankly, all we need to do is speak its words. And when we do speak the words of scripture, people need to be convicted and are faced with the need to change. Even Satan himself couldn't deal with the power of God's word. Do you remember the story of Jesus fasting in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights? The devil found Jesus and tried to tempt him, didn't he? And do you remember the words that Jesus spoke? That stops Satan in his tracks. Every time Jesus was tempted, he said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus didn't say, Satan, I tell you. He didn't say, this is what I believe. He said, it is written. In that statement, Jesus was protected. He was the son of God and you know that he'll do the same and the Word will do the same for us. It's hard to comprehend the forcefulness of God's words. You may not understand the power of the words in the book you hold, and I may not fully understand its power, but we know it's there and we know that we can trust it. Now, Paul takes this one step further. He basically implies that we need to know what the Bible says in order to know what is right and wrong. Because the Bible becomes the foundation of a morality. When you look at the immorality of the world today, you know that some people, it's just shocking to see what some people think. I think about, I grew up in the foundational of the church. I think about using God's word and we know that that forms our morality the difference between right and wrong i'd like to repeat today's text all scripture is breathed out by god and is profitable for teaching and reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete he may be complete equipped for every good work there was a man who told of visiting his grandmother's house as a boy she would buy a jigsaw puzzle and throw away the box. I watch as I go. A lot of times when I visit my mom, she's excited to show me in the room, her and one of the nurses, maybe a couple other people, but my mom is the primary person that sits in and, uh, and uh, works on that and the nurse will come through. And the first thing I do is I look at the box and I compare what they've completed and what they still have left to do. This individual, this young man, would say that he tried to put the puzzle together but he had no idea if the puzzle was a barn or an antique car because without the picture on the box that his grandma threw away, he had no idea how the puzzle pieces would fit together. And then he viewed and he said, you know, the Bible is like the picture on that box that helps us see how the picture all fits together. The Bible sets the tone of what is moral and what is not moral you think about it, God's the one that created. God's the one that sees alpha, omega, beginning and end. The progression of man throughout time. Wouldn't it make sense? That God is the one that pieces it all together. How many times in our life did we try to make a decision and then we realized we had no idea what we were doing? I remember putting a bid on a house in Newberry. My wife and I were shocked when we wanted to move and we put a bid down what we thought was fair and did not get it. We are totally happy where we are now. We didn't understand the future at the time. We thought that's what we had to be. The house, if you want to know, if you ever go to Mangia Manji in Newberry, the house right next door to that with a fence between was the house we put a bid on. Now and Manji is a very popular place. The garbage cans, the big garbage containers sit right along that fence line. We would have smelled garbage most of the day on those hot summer days. I'm not sure that that was the ideal place to live. At the time, we thought it was Kamangia, Mangia That was a post office at the time. It wasn't Mangia Mangia. How much happier we are now. My point being, I think you see, we didn't understand at the time, but I believe that God knew there may be something better out there for us. And we look at through time. We sing a song. We will understand it better by and by. That's what we look at in God's word. God knows the whole picture. And these pieces in our life are being fit together. It never occurred to these people to, to um, you know, in some cases, that, to trust God. Some people try to do it themselves. I, I It's me. But the more and more we read and the more and more we look at the Old Testament and what God wanted, the more and more we realize we want to be more like God. They wanted people, a lot of times, like to try to change it. They want a God that they can agree with, not that a God that they would follow, but a God that would run his life and accept them the way they are. But not change, not repent. It never occurred to them that God was calling to them to be like Him. Once a man was being chased by a tiger. He was running as fast as he could, but the tiger was getting closer and closer. Eventually, the man reached the edge of a cliff and he realized he had to jump. There was no other choice. The tiger was still behind him. He looked down and saw a branch growing out of the side of the cliff just a few feet down, so he jumped and grabbed the hold of the branch. Just then, a groundhog came out of the side of the cliff and started gnawing on that branch. The man was scared to see that the branch was getting loose and he would suddenly fall to his death hundreds of feet below. So he looked up to the sky and yelled, Dear God, please help me, please save me. I will do anything you ask me to do. Suddenly a voice came from heaven and it said, you will do anything I ask? The man was shocked to hear the reply and replied back, I will do anything, but please save me. There is only one thing to save you, but I will take you, I will ask you to show your faith and courage. The man looked up and said, what would that be? The voice says, do you have faith? The man was so scared seeing the branch was getting loose and the tiger was still growling at him from the top of the cliff. So he replied, please, God, tell me what to do. I will do whatever you say. Your will is my will. The voice from heaven said, all right, then let go of that branch. After a long silence, the man looked down again at the thousand foot drop and certain death. And then he slowly looked up again and yelled, is there anyone else up there? No, sadly, I try to bring that up as a humorous statement, but that's how some people view life, isn't it? That they want what they want. And if they don't get what they want, maybe that's where they turn to other versions of the translations of the Bible, that maybe aren't quite as scriptural as the foundational ones that we follow, that would maybe give some loose ends that you can interpret how you want to and maybe have your life run the way you want it. Maybe you wanna change God into something that you would worship. And if you don't go to a congregation that you believe worships the way you do, you would switch and go to one that we'd eventually cater to you. That's what people say. I think those are the people that say that the Bible is updated. Those are the people that don't want to believe God and what he put down the way he put it down. They want to modify it to match their own needs. We know that the Bible repeatedly tells us that we have a choice. We can choose the wisdom of man or we can choose to listen to God. What the Psalms say, In Psalms 1, verses 1 and 2, the very beginning of Psalm, it tells us to be careful who we listen to. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And Jesus said that he should be careful to listen to him. What does Jesus say in seven? Verses 26 through 27. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built the house on the sand. We know the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. You have a choice of who you will listen to. But even people who are smarter than you and I have made the mistake of listening to someone other than God and thus not listening to God. From what I understand, Harvard University was recently, has recently suffered a great deal of problems. There's been campus unrest. There have been charges of plagiarism that have led the university's president to resign. And you have to wonder what led to these troubles that Harvard has not. It was as if this once great college has lost its bearings and it doesn't seem to know what kind of decisions to make. Well, part of the reason Harvard is in these present times from what I understand in this mess is because they've gotten, gotten used to listening to someone other than God. You see, Harvard was once a divinity school established to train preachers for the pulpit. When Harvard was founded, its model was Veritas Christo et Ecclesia, Truth, God's truth for Christ and the Church. Its original crest showed three books, and one of them was face down to symbolize the limitation of human knowledge. But over the years, that third book has been turned face up to represent the unlimited capacity of the human mind. And the model has been changed to one word, veritas, meaning truth. Not God's truth, just truth, man's truth. That's part of the reason I believe Harvard is in trouble. Once they abandoned God's word as their foundation, morality is now based on man's opinions rather than facts. And that's why our culture is in such a mess. God's truth has been so ignored that we've gotten to the point where educated people can't tell you what a woman is, what a marriage is, can't accept the fact that men can't get pregnant, can't understand why men pretending to be women can't compete in women's sports. To me, it's just insanity. Without God's moral compass, the Bible, God's moral compass, the Holy Bible, all I see is mankind is lost. Now by contrast, there was a study done a few years back that found people who study or meditate on scripture four or more times a week. And this is what I'm looking at this year, is to study and memorize. I love it when Dale can stand up here and say, Acts 4.12 today. He says, that's a common verse. We, I'm thinking, I don't know what it says. I don't know about the rest of you. But you know, I, I, I know, I'm one of those ones that says, I know it's in the Bible somewhere. And then I love that my smartphone, like a lot of you do, that I can look up a word or verse or phrase, and then it can tell me what verses it might be and so on. But anyhow, this study found that if you just read, meditate, more than just read, but you actually digest and meditate on what I was saying this morning, trying to focus more. Meditate and try to, you know, just digest these verses. They say that the rule is this. If you do that four times or more a week, they found that people who did this were 228%, which means 2.28 times more likely to share their faith with others. Over 400%, or over four times more likely to memorize scripture. They were 59% less likely to view pornography. And they were 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. I started to look at that. I kept always saying, you know, I give credit to Tom and Dale because they memorize these scriptures. And I started to think, well, how many years have I been saying that, you know, for a few years now? When it tells me in this study that I would be more four times more likely to memorize scripture if I were to study and you know, just meditate on God's word at least four times a week. So that is what I'm going to look to do. Bible shapes the morality and strength of believers if we just do that, if we study and look at. In our text, Paul tells Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing how from childhood you have been uh, um, acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. What are the sacred writings? We know the Bible. They are the foundation of salvation. Scripture makes us wise for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think is gonna happen on that day of judgment? Do you think God and Jesus are gonna give us a test on what I know mathematically? You know, the calc one, calc two, the equations, the formulas, the opposite of B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus four AC all over two A. That's quadratic formula. The Pythagorean theorem, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. No, that has nothing to do with what's in play. For the doctorates, for the men that can come up and say, I have, you know, I didn't know that Rob Sidwell has like three doctorates. Did you know that? In his last sermon, he talked about, you know, a doctor. He made the phrase, I'm a doctor, but not in that sense. And then I found out later, doesn't he? He has three doctorate degrees. But you, I mean, that's what he says. He doesn't show that. But, but even him and all the history and so on that he knows, that's not what's on the play. The play is... How did we have our foundation, the Bible? And how does that foundation match in our lives? It's abandoned. If if we abandon the Bible as a foundation of our faith, then we don't know, and we don't know anything about Jesus, then we know we're in trouble. Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, know your Bible. That is what the writers tell him, Timothy. Because if you don't know your Bible and you could lose out on knowing Jesus, that would be a great tragedy. My con- I'd like to close with this. By contrast, the message found in scripture can lead people to salvation. Almost everyone has heard the story of the mutiny on the Bounty. The Bounty was a British ship which set sail for the South Sea in 1787. The crew had been sent to the Pacific They were going to plant fruit trees on some of the islands so other ships could use them later, like pay it forward. After six months on one of these islands, the sailors formed a mutiny. They liked the climate. They liked the native girls and the ease of the island life. And so they set Captain Bly adrift at sea and set about living the island life. Unfortunately for them, Bly made it all the way back home, and an expedition was launched, and 14 of the mutineers were captured and tried. However, nine mutineers, along with the six Native men and 12 Tahitian women, settled on, I believe they call it Pitcairn Island in 1790. Eventually, one of the sailors soon began distilling alcohol, and the little colony went downhill from there. Disease and murder took the lives of all the sailors except one. The one sailor who survived was Alexander Smith. He became bored and searched through the belongings of the dead men of the ship. And in an old chest from the bounty, he found a Bible. He began to read it and then to teach it, and to all the others he came in contact with. The result was that his own life and the lives of all those in the colony were changed. From what I understand, 20 years later, a British ship found the colony and they were amazed that the little community of survivors were so happy and industrious. They found there was no jail, no whiskey, no crime, no laziness. All they saw were people who had built their lives on the foundation of God's word. May we be strong and move forward together as a congregation. As we move into this 2024, I like what we have done with each other. And that's what we're saying. We're trying to form, because who is the church? Us. The church is not the building. When we come, I always said, talked about, we go to church services. Well, I like to say, I go to church, because I go to see you people together, worshiping together and strengthening. So I like to close with the words that Joshua was told. Joshua was now going to take over after Moses. And we know that Joshua was told, you now are in charge. And the shock of this young man, but what does it say in Joshua chapter one? God encourages them this way. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I believe God's telling us the same thing today. Be thou found faithful unto death that you might receive that crown of righteousness set up for you. May we look at that today, give me the Bible. For anybody in need of the invitation song this morning, whether it be to be baptized or to ask for the prayers of the congregation, we have the opportunity to come and make our life right as together we stand and sing that song of invitation.